It's that time of the week again. You are about to participate in a great adventure. It's that time when the latest episode of Digital Kill the Radio Star drops. Drop? What the hell do you think you're doing? It's time to waste another hour or so with David and Chris. Oh my God! As they spout out more of their worthless music knowledge. I wouldn't do that if I were you. It's time to hear them discuss the music of their youth. It's the gift that keeps on giving the whole year. As well as the music of today. Excuse me while I whip this out. So kick back, relax, and have some fun with David and Chris. Who are those guys? Digital Kill the Radio Star starts. Come on, quit stalling! All right, everybody, welcome back to the Digital Kill the Radio Star podcast. As always, I am one of your hosts, David, and uh, Chris uh, couldn't be with us this evening, so he is sitting this one out. So, um, obviously, by the, but you can tell by my accent, I live in the South, and uh, we have experienced uh, White Death 2021 down here, and uh, I have been snowed in a couple of days and just have cabin fever and, and wanted to record a podcast. Chris couldn't do it tonight. So I thought I would find some friends um, that would get on here and we just kind of hit record and see what happens. So um, as you know, I have another podcast, The State of America, which is a Black Crows podcast. And uh, I've met, one of the great things about that show is I've made a lot of really, really good friends through it, uh, like really, really people I consider close friends now. And so I reached out to some of them uh, tonight, see if, hey, they want to pop, pop on here and we'll knock out a podcast real quick so they three of them did so uh everybody remember steve he was on our goat's head soup episode steve how are you dave how's it going glad to be back i am good and then uh my buddy seth he is also he and steve are both in a black black crows tribute band called the americans uh based out of the boston area and they are phenomenal uh they play the songs uh, true to their true to form they don't dress up and try to act like anybody they just respect the music and play the tunes including all the deep deep cuts so if uh go they also have a youtube channel uh sir, is, is it just search the americans is that right seth that's yeah thanks dave first thank you for the kind words and thanks for having us um yeah uh, if you just uh, go to youtube and search for americans we should find you should find us pretty quickly yeah and then uh, we have our first, well, it's our second international guest on Digital Killed. We had Rune, who is in, oh, Rune, forgive me, uh, one of the um, Nordic countries. I- I'm so sorry, Rune. Uh, we have uh, a guy that I've met through State of America, and he's been on a bunch of Zoom hangs with us all the way from Brazil, Pedro. Hi, buddy. Nice to, have, nice to be here, David. Thank you for the invitation. And uh, if Pedro is our first ever thoracic surgeon that we've ever had on the podcast. So uh, he's classing it up a little bit, bringing all our collective IQs up a tad. <laughs> uh, my pleasure. 
so um, Steve, you've been on here before. Um, so obviously you've, people kind of have a sense of, of your musical um, heritage, I guess. Uh, Pedro, we'll start with you first. What's, who are some of your favorite bands and, you know, generally what kind of music do you like to listen to? Yeah. Oh, David, uh, I, I live down here in Brazil. Uh, we have uh, our uh, national music and our kind of traditional songs, but I was always drawn to rock and roll and to American and English music. And when I was 10 or 11, Paul McCartney played here in Maracanã, in Rio de Janeiro, next to my town. And it, it became a fever. Uh, everybody was just listening to the Beatles and was my first uh, big, huge influence on make me, making me uh, listen to music and to rock and roll. And my dad, we used to have all the vinyls, all the collection of the Beatles records. And that this was my first thing that drawn me into music seriously. And I've, I, 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 as you said, I'm a physician, I'm a doctor, but I've never let the music aside. It was always been my closest companion. And uh, if you say five bands, today that are the greatest that I like the most I would say the Beatles that's my first and on the same level uh, Tom Petty, Black Crowes, Pearl Jam and New Young that's uh, I've, I'm deep in this, this, this five guys <laughs> some more a little bit and I've gotten you into the drive by truckers haven't I oh yes I was just listening to Heathens as before we got here yes i've got a uh, facebook group i'm going to invite you to 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 get in Uh, i think you'll enjoy um and then we have uh, a seth here seth um what's kind of your musical background i know you're 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 real heavy in the soul and r&b stuff yeah i would yeah so um i would say uh you know like growing up i grew up on long island and so i've definitely got like and this is frowned upon in many of our sort of circles here, but like, you know, the entire Billy Joel catalog is like wet wired into my brain, like from the matrix, you know, it's, uh, there's no getting around it. <laughs> Steve loves it. <laughs> yeah. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not ashamed of it. I, yeah. It's uh, I mean, I grew up with that music, like, you know, in my parents' cars, just, you know, it was like, it was ubiquitous every time I ever got in a car. It was always, you know, it was always, I've always, I've always felt like Billy Joel is to, the Northeast, specifically New York, what Leonard Skinner is to people in the South. It's such a rich. I think it's a great analogy. Uh, yeah. uh, to people in New York, uh, <laughs> it makes me want to drive into the guardrail. <laughs> well, but, no, but I think, or Springsteen is to people, or Bon Jovi yeah, to yeah. people in, in Jersey. You know, I mean, I, you know, I mean, it's, I mean, there's, you know, you can draw the comparisons. I mean, it's definitely like sort of the, you know, the hometown guy, you know, goes big, right? But, uh, uh, no, I spent, I would say that uh, I was really in, in my high school and early college years, I was really into like a lot of progressive rock. I mean, some of my earliest concerts were like Rush and Yes. And um, uh, uh, I think I saw Jethro Tull show in there, you know, at some point. Um, Steve Miller, I got, and then I they went heavily into classic rock when I was in my, uh, you know, in college and, and also some of the college radio at the time, you know, I was sort of like at sort of the tail end of the 
golden era of rem you know sort of like a life's rich pageant and green you know those records um i, mean, I love I, I like a lot of all, their whole early catalog is great stuff um but you know cream and traffic and pink floyd and um you know all that stuff and then around 22 23 i properly discovered soul music like a, a, a really good friend of mine a musician friend of mine um berkeley guy who's to this day still one of my very favorite songwriters like properly introduced me to Stevie Wonder. And then and I went down the rabbit hole of, you know, of soul music, of, you know, Motown and, and Stax and just, you know, all that stuff uh, for a long time. And I, I mean, to me, you just sort of accumulate all this stuff, right? You know, but I did see the Black Crows in 1991 the first time. I, uh, I, only, I recently pinpointed the show because it was sort of an oddball show right after they got kicked off the ZZ Top Tour. And uh, it was in Orlando at this like defunct soccer arena. It was a really weird spot. I found a description of the show recently and it was like, it was so perfectly described. It was like a totally weird scene, um, but a, an incredible show an indelible memory. And, uh, and then, you know, whatever, 60 shows later. Right. But um, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I like all kinds of music. Um, I kind of have like a never, I have a, an unquenchable thirst for you know musical wanderlust I, I i always want to hear something new and i especially appreciate especially as i get older i'm gonna be 50 soon and uh i you don't love look a day I, over 48 thank you very much sir thank you um uh <laughs> I, I i i really i'm so encouraged when i see a young band or a young artist who's doing something really organic um that you know i'd say that 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 just makes that makes me really happy to know that there's still like real like real just real music that's still being made that's new music they're still discovering things so it's kind of i know i meandered a little bit there but yeah I, I have a very wide and eclectic musical taste I, I don't pretend to really understand jazz in the way that i would like to but i there's some of it that i really do just connect with on a kind of a visceral emotional level but yeah all right it's all right steve you and i chat all the time let me see if i can guess your top five bands in no order, oh. Oh. the the crows. Well, yeah. Dylan and Mount Rushmore. Let's hear it. Yeah, Dylan. Dylan. Yes. Dio. Yes. The Dead. The Grateful Dead. Absolutely. And Maiden. I Maiden Sabbath. I was gonna think Sabbath, but then I then I. But I think Sabbath with Dio kind of counts, so I think you're you're right in the neighborhood. I mean, you know, are your guys' wives aware of what's going on right now? I just want you to. That's I talked to Seth last night for two and a half hours, so my wife's aware of that too. Anyways, I basically about music, basically. But you know, I, I grew up in a musical household. My my dad sang. My uh, I come from a very musical family. I have two aunts that are piano teachers. My uh, grandfather's brother was in Benny Goodman's touring band as a guitar player. Um, my cousin Casey was signed to Atlantic. Um, she's somewhat famous in the Austin area. She opened Neil Young's Bridge School benefit one year, which I went to and was amazing. But that's a different story. Anyways, you know, my brother's a singer. I it, I come from that kind of family, but I've been into like really into music for I don't know since I was eight or nine and really uh I heard war pigs when I was playing basketball at someone's house and was like what's that 
you know, I'll get your attention. and uh, my mom bought me paranoid and I was like off to the races. Um, she dropped me off when I was 11, 11 at the Boston garden to see iron maiden open for Judas priest wow. uh, in 1981. Um, and you know, the lights went down and I think it was children of the damned, but, uh, it was like a monster. It was like, I was watching the creature double feature and the, it was a fucking monster movie. And I just thought there's something I'll, I'll, I'll be doing this the rest of my life. And, uh, my next door neighbor was a, um, he owned a ticket agency and I was scalping tickets for him. Like Mike Damone. When I was 14 and 15 years old, I was in front of the Worcester Centrum scalping tickets. And I've seen, I don't know, a thousand concerts, maybe. I think that's low, Steve. It probably is. I think that's low. So, yeah, yeah, I I was a metal guy when I was young. You know, Dio, Maiden, Priest, Sabbath. uh, You know, that's really the Mount Rushmore. No matter what anyone says about Metallica, that's the Mount Rushmore. Uh, Go ahead, Pedro. Steve. Uh, when I was 13, the mm-hmm. first time I heard the Sabbath, a friend of mine was with a disc man, a CD port- portas, I'll say the mm-hmm. player, and put in the headphones mm-hmm. and war pigs. I've never heard that. Yeah. And when I heard that drum, it was <laughs> my head like this. I got, wow, what the hell is this? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, in. So, you know, I was a metal guy through uh, my adolescence and when I got my dad died and I got all this money and I plowed it into a car stereo. This is how much I love music. My brother, my brother bought a car. I had a car and I, I basically took a car's worth of money and put it into the greatest car stereo of all time. I'm not kidding. This thing was 154 decibels dead clean. It got stolen out of my driveway like the eighth time. I'm like, I can't pay the deductible anymore. I just can't do it. <laughs> so, but somebody uh, let me let it bleed. I was 19 and I couldn't take that disc out of my car. And that led me on like, it took me more from a metal direction to a rock direction. And, you know, right after that, on the heels of that comes Shake Your Money Maker like the next year. And I saw them uh, June of 90 and was like, Ooh. And then when Southern Harmony came out, it was like, Oh my God, this, I'll never miss that again ever. And uh, you know, that's led me down the road. Uh, I've done the deal, the Dylan deep dive and the dead deep dive. And, you know, it's interesting that Seth and I are in this, this really good band because we come from very, very different perspectives uh, concerning music. Not that that's bad. It's actually, I think it's actually a really good, it's a thing. lot of overlap too, but yeah, there, but there's well, also there, a lot, it's a, it's a healthy Venn diagram and there's a lot of intersect and a lot of, uh, it's a lot of yeah, way out. Yeah. There's a lot that's like, yeah, what's the, whatever I can't, like, now I'm, a lot of like, am, why don't you like deep purple? Why? I you like them. I like them. And then he's like, why don't you like, you know, whoever James, How Brown you call the Eagles overrated. Yeah. Yeah. Why? Anyway. So, <laughs> I think that music, at least for me, has been the dominating force in my life. The absolute centered force in my life for almost everything that's happened to me throughout life. I mean, I agree. I was, I remember when Purple Rain came out, I was probably seven or just about to turn eight. And I heard that. And I, I, my mom, for Christmas, I got one of those big boom boxes. Y'all are going to laugh. I got Prince Purple Rain on cassette, and she got me the Footloose soundtrack. And soundtrack. I was just hooked 
on music. And I used to, my dad had a friend at the radio station and he would save the, the LPs from when they would play like the Casey Kasem or Rick D's top 40 and give them to my dad and he would bring them home to me. So I had like, awesome. it's kind of almost like having Spotify. I had access to all of these, you know, records and a uh, quick story. My dad was the, do y'all, do you guys have the JC's up there? It's kind of like the line, like the lines club. It's a, um, or like Rotary Club, it's kind of like the Rotary Club, or maybe that's yeah, stuff like that. I don't know. Yes. Yeah, so, so my dad, the JCs, there, it's kind of like that. So my dad was president of the local JCs. He actually had Rick D speak uh, at their um, at their event. So he had to drive up to Memphis, the airport, and picked up Rick D's and like was in a car with him for a couple hours. But anyway, so I got into music uh, like that, and then like everybody else, it's just become like increasingly important. Even the older I get, and like. When I was like 11 or 12, I would spend hours at the, like, um, was it Walden Books is what we had down here. Walden Books, just reading like Metal Edge and Kerrang! and Rolling Stone and like getting all the reviews of the new albums and then taking my money that I'd saved up. There was, In the mall, there was like four different music stores. So I would, I would get my list of what I wanted and I would go to each music store and find which one had it the cheapest <laughs> and try to get like three or four cassettes at the same time. And if I had any money left over, I went for a single. First single I bought was Sweet Soul Sister off uh, the cult's Sonic Temple. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, and you know, in college, like everybody else, my taste changed. I quit listening pretty much to anything remotely metal. It was all widespread panic, the Almond Brothers, um, stuff like that. And, Blues and, Traveler, that kind of stuff. Yeah, I got into all of that. And then... 98 is when I really became a massive Crows fan. I had all the albums and liked them, but, um, and one of the great things to me about the internet is people like us can find one another now. Mm. So like, I'm the only person in my, in my area, not in my area of all my group of friends that all really like music. I'm the only one that's nuts about the black Crows. And so all these years I've kind of had to suffer in silence, kind of, you know, they're, you know, they're just, you know, obsessed with like REM and the misfits and a bunch of stuff like that, you know, and I'm over here going, Hey guys, Southern Harmony is the best album of all time. Like, no, it's not, <laughs> you know? And so it's, it's great. I mean, to find people, you know, that, yeah. that like to talk music with you. And I have learned so much about music. I was telling Ian this the other night, I've learned so much from having people like you on and Steve on and other musicians on, talking about subtleties of things and like i've learned so much about music and a lot of my opinion on some black crows music has changed because people are like no you need to go back and listen to this case being the song nebuchadnezzar off three snakes used to hate it love it now really oh wow. uh, yeah i've gotten to the point with three snakes the only song i don't like is evil eye uh i just don't think it fits i don't it think does. it fits it um i like it <laughs> david uh yeah. I like one thing that I, I like personally about your reveals of music and that you always say that I'm no musician. I have no technical knowledge of this, but I can tell you how this makes me feel. And I think what probably makes all of us love so much about music is how it makes us feel. And, and the more... Um, I study and learn about music, the technical aspects. I think the, the, the whole uh, reason of all is to, to yeah. uh, make the, the feeling pass 
to the other piece, the, the, the people who are listening. And uh, that, that's what all, what all that's up about. And, and I think that's what makes us love this so much. Well, I would take a step further, Pedro. I would say that like it's that's more important. The way that the music makes you feel is way more important than the type yeah. of power. Now, the the beauty is when you can, and I'm not one of these people, but uh, you know, when you have enough sort of vocabulary as a musician to know exactly how to translate the technical stuff into the emotional yeah. response. You know, that's you know, and that's um, that's something that's near and dear to Steve right now. He's like deep in it, right? You know, trying uh, to. And, push himself know, harder that way yeah 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 because it's like a painter's palette right yeah if you're if you're uh playing a song and you're trying to convey an emotion there's a movement within what you're doing that will convey that emotion you know which way you move up and down the fretboard the combination of the notes together how long you hold them all these things mean something you know yeah. um, i was telling seth uh well, I, I, I talked to him about it a great deal. And my bass teacher, when my, my dog died four and a half months ago, and for 13 years, he was my big boy. I loved him. Well, I still love him. But I listened to this song from um, from the Rival Sons called Jordan. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, it's like one of my favorite songs ever. But the first guitar solo in it sounds like grief to me, like exactly like grief. And the movement, what he's doing in that solo is what's that's why I'm getting that it's minor key and I, I don't want to get too technical about it but you're 100% right on the money with that that's exactly what's going on there with all music really you know yeah all it's music. it's like Steve and I were talking the other day um I was trying to get him into the war on drugs and they have a song called pain in the outro guitar solo for whatever reason I mean it's it's nothing complicated but it makes the hair stand up on my arm. We can all agree Steve Vai technically is probably a top 10 guitar player of all time. He's a brilliant musician. I can't listen to Steve Vai and get that feeling. It's like it's like Steve and I were talking. Billy Sheehan is an amazing bassist. He can do things on bass I've never seen anybody else do. But would I rather listen to him play or Sven Pippian? Right. Yeah. You know? Well, you know, here's the thing, right? It depends on the situation in the song, right? right? Eddie Van Halen is uh otherworldly good, but you couldn't take Eddie Van Halen and put him in the Beatles. It just right. wouldn't work. Right. You no, know? it just wouldn't work. And yeah. and it depends on what people are trying to do. I I've seen Steve Vai live a bunch of times. I saw that original uh David Lee Roth tour in 86, you know. Uh he's great, but you know, it's like it's like watching Yvonne Malmsteen go blur, blur, blur. like, you know, if you're into that, that's, that's awesome. And there's right. nothing wrong with that, but it's different than watching a guy like Mark Ford or Warren Haynes or these guys or David Gilmore that can just bend a note in a way and hold it that hits you in the heart. Like nobody else can, yeah. you know, who else spins a lyric like, like Bob Dylan to make you feel like, you know, yeah. soul crushed. You know, that's the beauty. I, of it. I, lo I love uh, George Harrison, the way he mm. punctuates that note and guitar. While his so guitar weird. gently weeps. <laughs> yeah, he said better than me. 
Of course, it's Clapton playing there. Like, George Harrison yeah. is like the master does. of the weird voicing on the guitar. You know, he plays things in places that other people don't think of. Tom Petty was really on the record about like, well, I, I really didn't know what to do. And then George showed me this chord and I just didn't even know it existed. He's actually a real musician, I think was the, the quote, you know. It's not like Tom Petty. Yeah. 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 So humble. Funny story. You were talking about, about like the go chemistry. Ahead. Oh, sorry, guys. David. No, sorry, guys. New, go ahead, Seth. Oh, oh uh, one thing, uh, just uh, that, and that idea about like, could you put Eddie Van Halen in the Beatles, right? You know, it's funny, as Steve and I were just talking about this same thing a couple of days ago. Last night. Uh, uh, no, it was, I think it was actually the other time this week that we talked for two hours or something. But like, uh, <laughs> like um, no, we were talking about, um, uh, you know, when, I think bands are really all about chemistry. You know, chemistry within the within the band and chemistry with their audience and, and all that, right? And 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 the people you don't see that aren't on stage, like a guy like George Draculius, you know, just to stay on a theme, right? Like he knew exactly how to put those chess pieces on the board to make the Black Rose be what they became, right? You know, and um, but as far as like people in the band and having such a huge change, uh, something that can happen sometimes it can elevate a band, like when Mark Ford replaced Jeff Cease, that made it that made you know that just took. That took that band between Ed and Mark. That took that band to a completely different level. I mean, it was you know it was really unbelievable at the exact perfect time. But by the same token, for me, like I, I really liked Pearl Jam. When Dave Abrazee's left that band, I lost all interest. To me, the entire feel of that band disappeared. Um, and I love the Red Hot Chili Peppers. I saw them like on the Mother's Milk tour, and you know, and on the Blood Sugar Sex Magic tour, and you know, and and I really like Jane's Addiction, but Dave Navarro made no sense in the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Like, I, it just, you know, it, get nothing against any of those guys. It just, to me, the whole chemistry of the music disappeared. You know, the feel of what the band's supposed to be about just didn't make sense. You know, same thing with Flea and Jane's. That didn't make sense either, right? You know, so it's kind of, right? I mean, did, right, you know, it's like, it just... And Flea's a guy who I absolutely adore. I mean, like, the, the, I play a little bit of bass, not as much as, not like Steve, but, you know, like, I, like, learned playing along with those Chili Peppers records and Rush records and stuff like that. And, yeah, I mean, you, you've got to, especially the rhythm section stuff, you know? I mean, I, I will be very curious to hear what the the Black Crows sound like without Steve Gorman. Um, well, you know, like that, Matt that should Cameron, be very interesting. You were mentioning uh, Pearl yes. Jam, right? Matt that, Cameron. a good example, yeah. Matt Cameron is un. Monster fucking player. believable in yeah. Soundgarden. Yeah. He's amazing. Yeah. He's not that good in Pearl Jam. Right. But he relies on the toms too much. Well, it's, it's a feel. It's a feel thing. Yeah. His feel isn't he his only if it's the dynamics, like just yeah. It's yeah. like that band doesn't require the amount of roles and the amount of um extra stuff that goes on in Soundgarden. It doesn't, Pearl Jam isn't like that at all. It's not nearly as complicated the music. Go ahead, Pedro. Oh, no, I, I'm, I, I'm a suspect because I love Pearl Jam with yeah. all their drummers. And I think Matt Cameron was a perfect fit for Pearl Jam. I agree with all you guys said uh, of the difference in style, but he arrived in a time they were needing someone to connect connect them yeah. all about chemistry like Seth was saying yeah. and he was just the perfect fit and he was um, just like uh, our, our inter interview David and Ian of uh, State of America of Rob Cloris 
have to learn mm. a lot of songs fast. Matt Cameron in Jam was the same thing. Oh, right. I learned 80 songs in two weeks for the tour. And he just fits like a glove in the guys. And not just um, the chemistry is not just musical, but in terms of behavior and like personality, yeah. relationship between yeah. the, the oh, guys. Yeah. And he could hold the, the guys together. Look, no. don't get me wrong. He doesn't yeah, suck. No. He's good. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. Gabe Aberys, like, you know. It's just a different. It's, just a, different, it's, a, it's a different, different band. style. Like, the songs live, were different. In the, it's a, it's just a different band now. It's like, look. The oh, songs yeah. took on a totally different character. Uh, you know, just like, just the way. It, I'm sure live, you know, it's it's probably a different story. And, you know, I, mean, I saw Pearl Jam a couple times, but not post Aberys. You know, I, I I only saw them with him. But uh, yeah. um, I, I. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, again, um, and I don't, you know what? I, I like, I don't, I, because I kind of checked out, I don't really know a lot of the later stuff. You know, after Vitalogy, I kind of was like, uh, that was I kind of Yield it. Yield is yeah. actually really, actually a really good record. What's that? Yield. Yield. Really good record. Yield's yield, yield my favorite. Oh, Jack album Irons. Yeah, that makes, yeah. that makes more sense to me. Like, I mean, I haven't, I, even, it's just on paper that makes more sense to yeah. me, you know, but, um, well, if you were to ask me, like, what are my top five MTV moments? The award show where Dave Abrazis was a drummer and they played, they debuted Animal before it came out and they played Keep on Rocking the Free World with Neil Young. With Neil Young, yeah. right? Yeah. If somebody asked me, said, What's rock and roll? I just show them that clip. That. Fight right. drop. <laughs> top five, top five uh, MTV moments. Mm-hmm. Uh, Van Halen doing Pound Cake in 91. God, do they murder it. It's not even, it's, wrong and hey but but hagar murdered it with those pants he had on those shorts are horrendous but it's not that plaid is wrong but michael anthony on that whoa um people don't realize that that guy can shred oh my god the parts don't the parts are like a lot of it's like just pedal you know but man that guy can really play yeah, yeah, he can. And he's got maybe um, the, he's like a top three backup voice of any band ever. Like, you know, like Mike Mills, I think, is another guy who gets overlooked for that. But well, plus every tune they play is a pickup. Everything's on the the, the end of four. And it's yeah. like it's wings. People, yeah, people just it's not that easy. People think no. it's super easy. And then you see a bar band try Van Halen stuff. And it's like, wow, that's kind of sucks. Like, yeah, there's a reason yeah. it kind of sucks. Yeah. Um, the Black Crows opening the uh, MTV Awards in '92. Remedy. Boom. Uh, oh, oh, a smoking, smoking version of Remedy. Mm-hmm. Really, yeah, really, really high energy. Yeah. 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 Uh, the Freddie Mercury concert in 1992 mm-hmm. was broadcast on MTV. That was goddamn ridiculous. After that, I'm going to have to think about it. I just thought that, I mean, Dave Abrazis is beating the drums on that thing like they owe him money. And that version just, of Animal is frantic, frantic. I wish they would hang up rocking in the free world. I've had just about enough of that. Yeah, it's a little too predictable. You know, that and, and Baba O'Reilly, they play both of those a lot. Yeah, They played that one to death. Yeah, that, yeah, I feel like that got a lot, way too much sort of airtime. Pedro, what's your what's your favorite Pearl Jam album? Um, uh, it it depends on the time you ask me, but most of the time I'll answer versus the second yeah. one. Versus Vital, versus Yield and Ten, the two. But versus to me is the first one. I tell you what, the new one is on up there for me. I, I loved it too. I loved it, man. Never came out last year. 
Yeah, it's called Gigaton. Um, song called Never Destination, seven o'clock. Um, they, you know, they they released basically a. It was it sounded just like the Talking Heads, uh, that Dance of the Clairvoyance. Really? You know, and it, oh, you got to go listen to it. If, I will. Unless unless you hear Vetter singing, you're like, this is Talking Heads. Um, just completely different. I think everybody, all their fans, were like. Oh no, they turned into a synth pop band or something like that, you know, but yeah, they, you know, they're on my bucket list. They're one of only two bands I haven't seen that I really want to see. It's Aerosmith and Pearl Jam. Yeah. But um, yeah, that, that, that keep on rocking in the free world, man. And Neil Young is just, he's feeling it. You know, he's, I think he's hitting a lot of sour notes during the thing, but he's just having a blast. And you know, that, that, that was so cool. And they played animal well before versus came out. Uh, versus is one you know vitology is one of the albums i stood in line for at midnight that i specifically you know remember getting but that's a thing of the past too that i was not, gonna say you just ever, totally threw me back to like wow they don't, that doesn't happen anymore you know like yeah, i remember those days it's like when the illusion use your illusion albums came out yeah. i didn't have enough money to buy both so my buddy he bought number one and i bought number two <laughs> and the thing was we're going to go home and record them and then swap them you know, uh, that was, you know, when those came out, what that sold like 750,000 copies the first week or something like that. I mean, that was huge. And then Intercent, I mean, uh, the Black Album was like that. That was gigantic. That came out of midnight. Yeah, that was, that was um, a big hey, Pedro one. Pedro's saying, got something he wants to say. Yeah. Oh, uh, no, I, I was saying you, you, David told about uh, the song in the Les Perjum album, Dance of the Clairvoyance. It's a different, like, talking head song. He, I think it was you, David, or Ian, I'm not sure, that made an analogy with uh, I Ain't Hiding, Black Rose. It's a, to Black Rose, uh, Dance of the Clairvoyance is to Pearl Jam. It's, what, what is this? And it's funny because uh, Steve Gorman said, oh, I think this song uh, should be a single or you don't put in the record. And Pearl Jam made there the single of the record. Uh-huh. Yeah, and it got people talking. Yeah, people yeah, were like, you exactly. know, but I, you know, they actually came out and said, "Hey, the rest of the record doesn't sound like this." So yeah, yeah. everybody just, uh, everybody just calm down. All right, question for you guys because this is a pet peeve of mine when fans don't allow a band to change. Um, oh. It's a huge now. Obviously, people make mis- bands make mistakes, but um, and 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 put out some real garbage at times. I get mad when people are like, like I have one of my best friends. He is literally the biggest REM fan I know. Will not listen to anything post-automatic. Doesn't know the names of the songs. Doesn't know the names of the albums. Um, Because I'm a big fan of New Adventures and Hi-Fi. I think that's a great rock record. Uh, Their last two albums they put out I really love. But he he doesn't know any, he doesn't even know the album titles. But yet from automatic to murmur, I mean, he's like, you know, he's like Steve Gleason level knowing set list and stuff, you know? Yeah. So, uh, Steve, we'll start with you. Is that a pet peeve of yours? Uh, I don't know. I feel like people, some people just love the idea of one thing and can't get past it. And uh, for me, it's like, I want to, I want to see growth over time. That said, I don't necessarily want to see a left turn into like, what are you doing? You know, that's not even what you are. You know what I mean? Um, it's so a fine line, huh? it is a fine line. So yeah. like, look, you take, you take by your side, for example, 
right? Like, uh, there's a lot of good songs on By Your Side, but the production is in and the 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 lyrical writing is like, you know, just out of left field for that band. You know, I just feel like. I'm cool with the, like the different change in direction and we're going to be more rock now than hippie jam, but I'm not cool at all with the, I, the way you wiggle your toes and goodness gracious. And, you know, I know the chemical you like and that, you know, it's just like, come on, really, really? So I guess I can be guilty of it at some point, but more so lyrically than musically, if that makes sense. Seth, who, who, um, what is a band and album you think, took a horrible turn and then one that really surprised you oh uh hmm, a horrible turn tell me you're gonna bring up stevie wonder's shit in the 80s no hell no new inspiration circle is a great record man i just overjoyed no way i don't i don't care for that track i don't care for that track that's all i'm gonna say that's that's the nastiest thing you'll ever hear me say about stevie wonder ever i I thought i might be able to get him to say something shitty but i don't care for that track (laughs) (laughs) um no stevie wonder hasn't taken any turns that no um god I, i i might have to think for a minute about like where it really fell apart i mean i you know i think I think it doesn't usually go like awesome, awesome, awesome. What the hell? You know, it's much, you tends to be much more gradual, right? Like a kind of watering down of, you know, I mean, most bands are good for five records, right? Like that's kind of, you know, the police are unique in that they decided to like, okay, well, like here are five incredible albums. I dare you to call any of them any even mediocre. And, uh, and now it's time for it to be over, you know, because let's leave it on top. And that's a, pretty smart thing to do actually you know um uh the band that i kept thinking i've thought of the three separate occasions during this call already that um I, a i'm surprised i didn't mention you two on my um in my high school years and all that because i didn't miss a tour from the josh retreat until like i don't know six or seven or years ago or something and then i stopped going finally um i feel it's a band that i i i, I really loved and enjoyed and and adored and then just kind of lost interest in which i didn't think would ever happen i spent like dec- a couple of decades with them and then i just i just kind of moved on but the, but um when you talk about a band having to reinvent themselves i you know and also and and so that was the that's the third time the second time i thought i'm in this conversation we were talking about midnight record tosses and i remember waiting for octung baby at hmv at midnight that was the I, definitely the last time i did that so that's what 91 right um that band and there's a fantastic documentary that they did about it. I think it's called From the Sky Down, I want to yeah. say. That is I that is one of the most interesting. It's not my favorite documentary, but it's it's I think it's the most informative about a band at a moment that was so crucial for them and how they how they figured a way out of a corner they painted themselves into with hundreds of millions of dollars. You know, like I mean like that the way that ju- the, the, they were so um, I thought it was so cool. And I, I, I don't like to use this word in this context, but generous in a way like they really like let us behind the curtain to listen to those dats, those demos that they were like working through in Berlin and how like the song one came out of this like weird bridge jam of mysterious ways. Like that was just to like and how they kind of illustrated it. And really they really kind of let you in on the whole songwriting process in a way that is like kind of embarrassing you know like you know bottom just like yelling out gibberish and like you know i thought it was really really cool 
Um, and that's a band that was, you know, they made, you know, their first record was a big hit. Their second album was too weird for most. And, you know, and that's, that's a huge, I think this is like relevant to this conversation, like that what happened to you two with October, you know, which was, you know, it had like some, you know, it had some radio friendly stuff, but mostly it's kind of like a dark broody kind of typical sophomore slump kind of record, you know, I like it, but it's definitely, I'm sure it wasn't what people were expecting after boy. Right. And Gloria. It, it, yeah there you go I, yeah i'm sure no right but 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 it's the whole album is not like that right i mean no, it's, I it's yeah yeah it's true. um but but today if you came out with you know if you came out with um you know your first if you came out with let's say a shake your money maker right and then the next album is like what you know um you're done it's over and you don't get a chance to figure out where you know how to evolve and and so think about that. Like if, th if that had happened with you too, you wouldn't have had Sunday, bloody Sunday. You wouldn't get pride in the name of love. You wouldn't get, you know, where the streets have no name. You wouldn't get, uh, you know, mysterious ways or so cruel or, you know, any of these, you know, elevation or beautiful day. You wouldn't get any of that. Right. So like, it, it, it's important that a band is allowed to, I, I think it's a great question. It's a great conversation, David, to say like, you know, does it bother you when a band, like when people won't let a band evolve? It, it, absolutely. Like, don't we all learn more from failure than success? Like, yeah, don't we, you know, not want them to evolve? Like you mentioned Aerosmith earlier. I'd like to get them back on, on the Coke and uh, get them okay. away from the songwriters because if that's evolution, those records suck. You talk about pump and uh, uh, like, everything uh, pumps. Uh, God, I love a record. Pump. Pump's, pump's a good record, man. I mean, is it Toys in the Attic? No, no, it's not. no, it's not. the fucking no. And yeah, right. the first seven Aerosmith records are like beyond reproach. Yeah, 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 they are so stacked with good songs. They are phenomenal. Even done with mirrors is really good. And then, whew, then it turns into a different thing. Just a did, just completely different. And is it growth? I don't know. That's that's those are the kind of the biggest records they ever put out. Grew the bank account. Yeah, but definitely that kind of growth. And I saw all those tours, all right. of them, right? Multiple times, and they were great. But those records are like Voodoo Medicine Man for real. Uh, F I N E five. Yes. Oh. Pedro, <laughs> that that is one one thing that uh, we have to take into account when saying about this is that um, the songwriting process. There are times that they got uh, the band that's uh, one hit record, the second, the third, and then there are just twelve notes and the some chord. The number is lim number is limited, and they have to change. That most artists we love don't want to repeat the same things. They want to. They want to. They, they have a feeling uh, in their songwriting to get better, to evolve, and don't not to do. The same things they done before, but sometimes the, the answer is not what we expect, or it's not quite uh, likable as was the first with uh, the three major chords that everybody loves, and there are thousands of thousands of songs in that form, the shape, and they don't want to do it anymore, and got a little weird sometimes, but it's evolution. <laughs> No, yeah, also, we do live in a culture where people really want to put things in a box. You oh, know, yeah. like that, everybody, you know, oh, no, you don't do that. You do this. 
You play rock yeah. and roll. You play funk. You play pop. You play jazz. Like, like I don't think that's bullshit. You know, I, I think that's I'm just bullshit. talking about. The, the, so I'm not talking about that. I know, as, I know. As vibe and sound yeah. because, right. like, look, I'm a huge Stones fan. They do right. everything. They do. Yeah. You know, and the dead, do, do they, do they do the, the dead do a million. You know? like, yeah, right? yeah, sure. So it's not even about that. It's more about like, what do you sound like? Look, I I saw Metallica on on Master of Puppets. Like I was a big Metallica fan, and you know, mm, I don't love the Black record. I know, and I I know that garnered them so many more fans and turned them into like the biggest band in the world. Uh, but I got off the bus and went that way. Like I was like, ah. Uh, that's no, common though. I think yeah. when you're in early on a band and you've seen them at smaller venues, when they graduate to the arena and the stadium, it is kind of a bummer, you know. It's a like it, sound. It's a, I, I, look. They yeah. lost the guy who clearly wrote all the tunes. Right, right. Cliff Burton must have written all the songs. Must have. Right. The songwriting completely changes, completely. You know, after he's gone. But even and Justice for All is a stark departure. I know that there's the version with with Jason's bass lines in it. And I like it, but I don't love it. And it's not the same as those first three records at all. You know, it's just very different. Well, you when know? I think when I, the, the band, the three bands that came to mind for me that both I like and frustrate me, one that's far as changing was Radiohead. I love the bands. I love OK Computer. I like Kid A for the most part. Didn't like Amnesiac, but... I loved In Rainbows. Rainbows uh, right. I think I think In Rainbows is actually their classic. I think that's their, their high watermark. Yeah, their guitar records are great. Yeah. The Benz, outside of the Southern Harmony and Musical Companion, might be the, the second best record of the 90s. And and then Every, they awesome. and then and then they just get weird and they, they've never come back. Um yeah. Wilco, after you got past the album with the llama on it, just hasn't done anything for me. They're literally one of my favorite bands. And then a band that Steve and I talked about the other day that frustrates me, uh, my morning jackets at dawn, it still moves and Z to me are classics. And all three of those albums are completely different. But after that, I like about half of evil urges. And after that it's been, and they literally change their sound every record. I give them credit for that, but it just has not worked for me in the last three albums at all. But also, I think that metal bands are the ones that get pigeonholed the most with their fans. You know, I mean, oh, yeah. AC, every ACDC album sounds the exact same um, to me. You know, they they haven't changed, but I don't think anybody wants them to change. But look at what happened to Iron Maiden with, uh, was it Seventh Son of a Seventh Son? Was it that I album? Love that. I love that record. But but the keyboard album? Yeah, yeah. And then, pre, then like Priest with Turbo. And then like you said, Metallica. Metallica with the Black Album and then like Megadeth like I love uh, Euthanasia I love Cryptic Writings I think they're great records people hate them you know so what is it Seth you talked about like getting in on the ground level and obviously like you guys got in really except for me and Pedro you guys got in really on the ground level of the Crows Uh, there's other bands I've gotten in on the ground level on like Drive By Truckers My Morning Jacket do you feel like it's a sense of ownership that you have? Definitely. And then like this yeah. was quote unquote, our little secret. And now it's gotten out and you have people say, all right, let's say, let's take you two. You're a big U2 fan. All right. So let's say it's 1988 and people are like, oh, U2 is my favorite band. Well, what albums do you have? I have the Joshua tree. 
right, you're right. sitting over here going, I have boy October. Yeah, right. right. So right. do you think it's kind of like a sense of ownership and like you've, you've bought in you have sweat equity and it seems like these are the people that are just hopping on the train, you know, the F for you. Yeah. It, yeah. Yeah. You mean like people that <laughs> yeah. get on the Black Crows in 1998? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You, you put the no, ball right, right like next to the hoop, Dave. <laughs> so I was a big fan of Queensryche. I love, love Operation Mindcrime. That, that, uh, Before that. Yeah. See, that's what I'm getting at. Right? No, I don't know. That's all I know from so, Queensryche, well, by the way. Like, course, I'm not a metal guy, really. But Rage for Order is like my favorite. I love Rage for Order. Love the warning. Saw them open for Kiss in 84. Saw them a bunch of times in 86. And then they have, you know, Operation Mindcrime, and which was great. It was great. But then they put out Empire, the sound changes, and they hit arenas. And you have all these people like, ah, I like the Reich and fucking shut the fuck up, you know, and it would yeah. just drive me nuts. And then I'm out and I think it's the sweat equity thing yeah. plus a change of direction. You know, for me, it's like if you if you're in on a band early and I wasn't in on a on you too early because I was too young. Right. I mean, I mean, I'm just, you know, but I mean, I was I got in like I think it was war, you know, around, I mean, I don't consider that that early. You know, that that was like, they, you know, they were on the radio by then for real, you know, um, but um, no, when you're in on a band like early and like really early where like, you know, maybe if especially if they're local and you've met them and like, you know, you feel a connection, there's a community around them. Um First of all, the you know the thing that's like just pr- as a practical matter, suddenly tickets start getting a lot more expensive, and that kind of sucks, right? You know, um, but yeah, no, I think it's like it's it's definitely a feeling of like paying your dues, almost you know, supporting you support a band and help them get to a point, and you know, you, feel, you yeah, I think ownership is a good way to put it. You de- you just feel like you're part of the you're you're part of the kind of machine, and then suddenly everybody's like you know. Yeah, it's like those like almost famous when the, the the new groupies come in at the end, you know. Um, it's like these new girls, you know. But yeah, I don't. Yeah, it's a whole. It's a whole. They thing. eat all the steak. That's it. That's what it is. That's what I couldn't remember what they. What Pedro, they yeah, who is a band that you think you got in on the ground floor with? The ground floor since the beginning. Mm-hmm. You mean? Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Mm, yes. Uh... I don't know because we here in Brazil are the American English bands um, back when we were young it was uh, there was a delay did they come later we used to listen to the records maybe one year a month ago uh, after it all come out down there I have to think of that to conquer your home turf before you start going down to yeah, South but, America. but see all right yeah. but see Pedro one of the great things about the South American audiences is once you guys are a fan of a band, you're a fan of a band. That's it true. It does yeah. not matter. Like, look, look at like um, Iron Maiden. Iron Maiden go down to 150,000 people, you know, and in these, you know, and I, I talked with, um, gosh, I think it was Mark Ford. We talked about how like the European, European audiences, if they're a fan of you, they're a fan of you. Like if you go and look, REM's later albums post Bill Berry in England and Europe are like as big as the classic albums, you know, and they sold nothing over here. So, I mean, Pedro, you're actually really lucky down there that like everybody's not looking for the new flavor of the week. It's different, David, uh, because we don't have uh, like you have, you guys have in the summer, lots of bands touring around the country 
in small venues and not so big. Mm-hmm. Here, uh, the, I always wanted to see Pearl Jam playing down here. And the first time was in 2005. And so when they came, it was a huge commotion and it was 4,000 in the stuck in the place. Yeah. And that's what happens. Uh, Iron Maiden, every time they got down here, Metallica, they're always a huge crowd because they don't come every day. It's sparse um, right. in time. But when they come... Right, but, it, but if you watch crazy. video, if you watch videos of like Iron Maiden down there, ACDC down there, you guys are singing the new songs as much as you are the classics. Yes. You know, which it, it, I, I think it's funny cool. that, that there's a a, a, a show uh, a show in of Wilco in Belgium. I think it's 2016 or 17. They're playing a song and now I don't remember. There is a riff dun, 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 that uh, after the the end of the song, he says. Oh, okay. You don't sing the riff like the people in South America sing. He just <laughs> didn't hear from. And then in the end, I, I and then he says, I'm going to play another song. And you play, oh, I don't have another. But in the end, the last song he plays, it was another riff like this. And everybody was singing. And he said, ah, now you're going. <laughs> well, that's got to be so refreshing for an artist. Like, I know when I listen to, and Seth, I guess, a big Rush fan, that R30 album from Brazil, uh, is it Brazil or Argentina where they're playing? Uh, Russian Rio. Russian they're, Rio. Yeah. Okay. Rio. So it's in Brazil. They're louder than the band at some point. And like, they're singing, like you said, they're singing the riff. I the can't riff imagine the, the high you would get playing that hundred thousand people singing the riff. Yeah. Never mind the vocal, right? Yeah. Right. I mean, the vocal secondary at this point. Now, what would really impress me is if you told me there were women at that show. <laughs> <laughs> Never a line oh. for the ladies' room to rush gig. <laughs> so I've seen Rush every year since 1982. And wow. I think, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I think I've seen eight women total. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Count on both hands still how many total in the oh. aggregate. Yeah. You know. Yeah. It's definitely. Uh, Same it, thing it, at Iron Maiden concert. Oh, a mile of dick. Yeah. <laughs> Big stick vest. Full, full mile of dick. Yeah. I, had a, I had a couple of, I had a buddy that's a big Maiden fan and he went to, um, he'd never seen him. So he went to see him in Atlanta and he took another friend of ours that lives in Atlanta that know, knows nothing about Iron Maiden. Couldn't tell you a song. He showed, and he's an accountant. He showed up at the Iron Maiden show, I think, in his accounting clothes. And oh my like, God. Like a suit. He, yeah. He was like, man, I was a target. <laughs> he said, everybody was cool to me, but you could tell that, like, this was my first Iron Maiden show. He's like, I didn't know jean, uh, jean jackets were still so in, you know, in vogue because <laughs> he's everybody had a jean jacket on with a patch, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. Right. The painted back. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, look, guys, we've we've done this for about an hour. We probably need to uh, to wrap it up for just uh, recording sake on a length of a podcast. But uh, I'm glad that you guys hopped on me here with me at a very random time and with short notice. I told you we just hit re- record and see what happens. And uh, I thought we had a really good discussion. Cool. Yeah, we- you asked some good questions, David. That's good. <laughs> and uh, Pedro, Pedro, I told you beforehand that we would let you uh, – pick the playout song and so you picked uh 
a song that I don't think any of us are ever going to argue with. The Black Crows throwing it my pride, and I think I'm going to play the Crowology version. How's that sound? Oh, why not? Why not? All right, everybody, Thanks. good choice. Take care. Here's the Black Crows with Thorn in My Pride.
Yes, there is. Is it a fellow in my 